Welcome to this episode of the Business of Practice podcast, where we focus on the physical, financial, and human sides of equine veterinary medicine. In this episode, we're talking about how the pandemic actually helped my veterinary practice with Drs. Aaron Denny Jones and Monty McIntyre. I'm your host, Kim Brown, publisher of Equimanagement. Dr. Aaron Denny Jones is the owner of Ford Equine Veterinary Services in Claremont. She's a graduate of the University of Missouri Columbia Veterinary Medical School and completed an equine medicine and surgical internship at Mississippi State University. Achieved status as an FEI veterinarian in 1995. And Dr. Denny Jones is active in many equine veterinary organizations, including a charter member of the board of the Florida Association of Equine Practitioners and is treasurer of the FAEP in 2006 to 2008. She has a passion for continuing education and a desire to enhance horse owners' understanding of equine disease and lameness. Monty McInturf, DDM, is the owner and president of Tennessee Equine Hospital, which has four locations now in the state. A 1989 graduate of Auburn University, Dr. McInturf started as an ambulatory practitioner and has grown his practice to a staff of 12 full-time veterinarians. He served on the AAEP board from 2012 to 2015, and his practice interests include sports medicine, lameness, and just general health and wellness of the horse. So thank you, Drs. Denny Jones and McIntyre for joining us today to talk about how did the pandemic help my veterinary practice? We know that uh, surveys of the equine veterinary industry have shown that many practices were really busy during the pandemic, and therefore they made some more money. But what you found is sometimes beyond the increased income, and we're also going to chat at the end about some of the issues that practices are still facing. So I'm going to start with you, Dr. McIntyre. How did you feel like the pandemic actually helped your practice? Well, thanks, Kim. Thanks for having me today. And, and, and thanks to Aaron for Aaron being here. I got great respect. She's an awesome practitioner and a great leader for in many areas. So the, the pandemic has just been uh, just a really, really um, amazing time. I mean, I, I, I'm always an optimist. And I remember back in 08 and 09 when, when the uh, crisis was happening with economics, I was like, oh, I don't really want to participate in that. And I want to be positive about the horse industry. And, and actually going into the pandemic, I, I kind of took the same approach. I'm like, hey, I, I don't really want to p- participate in this pandemic but uh, the reality was um, I had to participate and uh, the opportunities for veterinary medicine grew tremendously uh, to the point where it was um, more, almost more than we could do at times. Um, we had to sequester in, in small groups. We had to you know, kind of really split our staff up. We had to um, stay away from each other. Um, our organization's big on having gatherings where we come together and have parties and we, we bring the community in we're real community focused. And, and during the pandemic, we had to like shut our doors and keep people out of our hospital and the opposite of what we typically do. Um, and so that was, that was, uh, uh, I guess that was a really great time, uh, because some people that are, are a little bit introverted, they, they were like, this is awesome. I don't have to, you know, be with the customer and I can just focus on the animal, which I really love. And, and then some of us are like, wow, I, I miss the customer. And, and the customer is something that I really miss. So dealing with all that was a, a growing point for me. I'm kind of in the ladder. I, I like people. 
And so I, I struggled with not being around people, but the people that are really um, animal focused helped me through that. So I think our team grew, grew a lot. That's a, a positive that I would say uh, financially grew um, emotionally. We grew by supporting each other. That would be my takeoff on it. And Dr. Denny Jones, what about in your practice? You're a solo practitioner with a, a very talented assistant. Yes. And so I think that benefit helped me coast through this without all those hiccups that uh, the hospitals that Dr. Frankenturf was talking about that they had to do. Uh, my associate or assistant has been with me for over 16 years. So we have a relationship of almost family and a trust. So we trusted that each other would go home, do the proper social distancing, do the proper, you know, uh, protecting of our uh, abilities to go to work every day so that we could come to work and not have to risk somebody getting sick going home or spreading it to our customers. We're the same way. We love to talk to the customers. We love to interact with the customers. Um, but we did learn a lot about our customers. I found a few of them had MS, had no idea. Some had uh, a low-grade leukemia type thing that they have kept at bay. And we go to their farm not knowing this. We've known them for 10 years plus, didn't know their health concerns. And they would stand back, have the horse in the stall and say, I just had uh, my white cell blood taken for leukemia. I'm still low. I'm doing my social distancing. And so having my assistant next to me doing the procedures I've always had, it became even more paramount that she had to be with me on these appointments because the owners couldn't participate. And uh, the fact that they were very upfront, we were very upfront with being respectful to their medical issues was um, a a growing thing too. Uh, But everybody always expects Kim to be with me. She's fantastic. She's, like I said, been with me 16 years. We trusted that we would go home and do the proper things to keep ourselves safe. And when we came to work, we were so blessed that we could come to work because both our husbands were at home. So we could get away (laughs) and get out there and do some stuff while they were trapped inside working on their computers, uh, hating life. So it was actually a good thing for us. Um, We didn't have to worry so much as people coming indoors and all that because we're outdoors with our jobs. Like you said, it was very busy. Uh, At first, it slowed down. We had a lot of winter clients that headed out and went back home because it hit us in March. And we usually have them until end of April. So we were writing health certificates like Matt so they could get out of the state of Florida, get home. Um, and that was our increased um, work time and um, financial time for us. So at first we had this hard hit for about a month and a half. And then when the USEF opened up their doors for shows, then the floodgates opened for us and we became very busy. So I'd have to say for about the first month and a half, I had a little PTSD. I thought it was going to be the recession again. And um, so you know, we, we kind of held our best the day that we didn't um, go to our winter clients because we have a day full of winter client only work. We sat in-house and did mm-hmm. some housekeeping stuff, uh, yeah. updated on some of our procedures, manuals. I did some banking. And what else, Monty? Um, how about as, as you were working and, and you were segregating and learning, is there anything else positive besides, again, most of the surveys have shown that veterinarians were slow at first. And then suddenly it's like, I'm stuck at home with my horse. So I want to do everything. I had one vet tell me, he said, we're going to come out of this pandemic with the healthiest, best trained horses we've ever had. Cause everybody had time to do the treatments and pay attention and, 
and not be competing all the time so that they were training and fooling with the horses. So what, what did you see in your practice as far as, you know, what clients were looking for and why that made you busy? Yeah, that's, that's, that's a great question. I mean, the level of care uh, definitely rose. I mean, a, a lot of folks, uh, you know, we haven't always talked about wellness blood work and we haven't always talked about preventative x-rays and we haven't always talked about uh, things like that. And, and with people being at home, spending more time with their horse, they realize how important the horse actually is as, as part of their family. And we started doing more preventative blood work. Um, we had a couple of fecal months where we did some uh, discounted fecals to get more and more people involved with, with doing uh, fecal egg counts, um, which was really eye-opening. I mean, a lot of people did it, but a, a lot of people don't do it. And we just offered that service and we were just flooded with people bringing their horse's poop in a baggie to our clinic, you know, which is pretty awesome. We didn't have to go collect it ourselves, you know, so that's pretty normal stuff in small animal veterinary medicine. But I think in equine veterinary medicine, those little uh, preventative pieces, sometimes we overlook because we call ourselves um, um, sports medicine specialists or surgeons or whatever we call ourselves, right? Um, the preventative piece really, really still a big part and um, at all levels. So um, our preventative medicine rose, um, our, our level of, of care in the hospitals rose. And the, really the big thing for us and our model going in this direction, we're, we're, we do have four locations and you mentioned we have 12 uh, equine veterinarians. We actually have 21 equine veterinarians on our team. And, and we, we, uh, we're trying to provide that urgent care, emergency care. Um, other folks are struggling to, to provide because they're working so hard during the day. They just don't, they want to turn their phone off at night or they want to turn their phone off on the weekend. And I get it when I was a solo practitioner, or there was just two of us. The last thing I wanted was an emergency call. And, um, and so we're, our, our organization is trying to provide emergency care. Um, and, and really central um, horse areas. And, and it's kind of becoming the norm. I can remember 30 years ago when all animal emergency clinics were popping up, people were like, uh, veterinarians aren't going to support that. That's not going to work. And, and actually, it's industry standard now. Um, I'm of the opinion that urgent care facilities in locations is, is part of the answer for our, for our future. And let's support each other. Um, and so that these practitioners that have really great loyal clients can continue to serve and have a life. So we, we saw a lot of our urgent care uh, level really rose. Uh, some people do have health issues and didn't want to get out. Some people, you know, just could not support all that was happening. So um, in that area, our organization grew a lot. And Aaron, same question to you. What did you find as you started to get busy? What were clients looking for and, and what did that translate into your practice? I'm actually going to mirror almost everything that Monty said. We had our usual, we did rotate to fecal egg counts many years ago. And, you know, Monty can attest to this as a older practitioner and somebody who grew up with horses. I would look under the microscope the first few of them we did. And I'm like, oh, there's a worm. We got to deworm. And you don't, you do it at a bigger number. So we had slowly educated our clientele to do that. So we were, you know, still on that, on board with that. But those free radiographs that, like he said, that became huge, which was great. Hey, I'm going to take my horse out now to start showing. We've been laying, you know, 
quiet for the last 10 years, not doing anything. Now I've got more time at home. And, uh, you know, the, the, we need to put shoes on, but let's do some x-rays with the farrier and get these shoes on right. And it was pretty amazing how much they came out to improve the health of the horse. And I, I have to agree 100% with Monty that that putting their, their energies towards prevention was number one and paramount for them. And I think, as Monty also mentioned too, there is going to be some changes coming from this as any big uh, economic or some sort of downturn that we experience in our lifetime always changes some ways you work or conduct work. It is going to change the way that equine healthcare is done, whether it's more prevention by the clientele because they're seeing that's on a positive end or more pre-purchases. Those, those became paramount too. People were spending more money on their horses. So thus now they're going to have our opinion added to it rather than just do a knee-jerk reaction and buy it off of a video. There was a lot more pre-purchases, a lot more care in that next step they took. So I found that those were our big positives that we were able to interact and educate and help our clients with that next step they were taking, whether they're going to go to their first show in 10 years, they're going to get, get their next show horse or their actually next trail riding horse. We did a lot of, you know, $5,000 to $10,000 horse repurchases, which we hadn't done a lot of in the past. And those trail riding horses are getting expensive. I had some friends that, you know, before the pandemic, the horse they bought probably would have been $2,500, $5,000, and they're 15 now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for it's sure. Crazy. So, yeah. Hey, hey donkeys are 1000 to $2,000, and, and you couldn't give a donkey away. And that, now, I got one that, you know, that, that yeah. is just, of course, she, she was given to me. I rescued her off of a place one time basically I was there and my daughter and I decided we wanted to learn how to drive so we thought we'll start with minis because you know the, the number one thing is never attach what you're trying to teach to drive to something that it can actually pull you want to teach it that it, it it has to listen to you and learn to stand right. and while I was there there was this cute little yearling miniature donkey oh she's so cute they literally <laughs> picked her up put her on my trailer and said if you don't want her bring her back right and what 10 years later <laughs> she's still fat and out in my field Hey, that that mini now is too grand around here. <laughs> so, yeah, it's we, we can't find them. Yeah, we can't find them. I've got clients looking for pasture mates and cannot find them. Wow, that's crazy! Isn't that fun? Yeah. <laughs> and the good news is, I I use the um, the USDA numbers going out of Texas and New Mexico for slaughter figures. It was down by half last year. Yeah. So. Hopefully that means that more horses are finding homes and, and long-term homes. And of course, with more people wanting to move to the country, I don't know if it's where you all are living, but can you find a horse property around your area? No. And I'll tell you that right now. So I was considered the boonies outside of Orlando and um, we're, we're closer. We're about halfway, I guess you'd say almost between Orlando and Ocala. So I can pop to Ocala, no problem. But the other one, you know, the Orlando, it's harder to get in town because the traffic. Well, the traffic now is just doubled, if not tripled in the last two years where I'm living because they're all buying land up and moving out to the country. And so they are doing exactly what you said. They're, they're buying some country spots, which is hard to find. Any farms are hard to find around here. And they're putting their horses and donkeys out that they don't know anything about. So there's a lot of education going on. Sure. What about your area, Monty? 
Oh, wow. I mean, you know, the people that are moving here buying the property can afford horses, right? So they're, 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 they're spending a lot of money on property and they're, and they're getting them a horse. Just like what Aaron said, they're like, Hey, we're moving to the country. Let's get us a couple of donkeys. Let's get us. So the donkey, I'm, I'm the actually 10 years ago, it was where people wouldn't even care for the donkey anymore. And now the donkey's like just part of the family. I mean, we get so many donkey and mule and, and pony and pet horse calls now that, that I never saw 10 years ago. And, and, and they're really wanting to, you know, you, you're the young vets, like they're not going to spend any money on the donkey, and, but yeah, they will. They, they, they will. say they want colic surgery on this donkey. And, and, you know, colic surgery on a donkey, people just didn't do. And now they do it. Right. And it's so um, I hate to use the word companion because um, in the state of Tennessee, the horses are agriculture, but, right. but they are, you know, but, but they've got names, you know, we name our horses, we care about them. We don't name our cows typically. Right. Or our pigs or, you know, so I say that to say, um, the people moving to the country want to be farmers and they got to have a, a horse or a donkey or what, what have you. And, and, and the other thing, I, I really believe this. You, you can be a horse person and not be a good rider. You don't, oh, yeah. you don't have to ride horses to be a horse person. I mean, you can, uh, there's a lot of great horse people that are great riders, but there's a lot of great horse people that don't ride horses. They love horses and they, and they love the lifestyle of looking over the fence at their horse. Um, I have four horses now and my kids are grown up and we don't, we don't ride anymore and I can ride, but and people are like, why you still got those horses? I'm like, they're my family. I like looking at them. I take care of them. I, I feed them. I, you know, I, this it's the lifestyle I've chosen. So, and I think during COVID, people really focused on the lifestyle they've chosen. And, and, you know, some people to the point they're not going back to work. <laughs> that's, the, that's terrible. But, you know, it's, <laughs> I actually like my job. The people that don't like their job, they're not going back. I love, I love equine veterinary medicine. Let me put this on the radio here. I love equine veterinary medicine. If I could be 25 again, I would do it again. I agree. I agree. There is no other profession, no other career, nothing I'd rather do all day long. Awesome, Aaron. That's awesome. It is. It is the best job ever. And I, I keep trying to relay it to those young grads coming out. It's, there's nothing about being outside. I, I, I feel for you in Tennessee with your ice and snow, but yeah. here in Florida, being outside is the best thing year That's round. That's awesome. Whereas if you don't mind, you know, that kind of weather, you come to Wyoming because it does, they just change, they just add another layer depending on the temperature and they're, they're never inside. I mean, that's what I love out here. It's like, okay, so today's not horses, today is snowshoes or skis or snowmobiles or, okay, so we can't go fishing today, so we're going ice fishing. So it's like, I still haven't gotten the cut the hole in the ice and sit out there that, that hasn't gotten me yet, but up on a mountain lake in the summer, yeah, I'm all, I'm all over that, but... Okay, so let's let's say we, we've talked about some really great things that have happened, some changes, but we also know that as the pandemic continues, as Aaron said, there are going to be some long-term changes that are going to affect the industry. And some of them are pretty positive, as we've talked about, but some of them are still challenges. 
And I'm going to talk to Monty about, you said you just added somebody at your clinic. So let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, we, we added an HR director. I mean, we, we, were, we had so many people with so many issues, um, whether they're health issues or mental health issues or family issues or children issues or just so many issues that we, we hired an HR director that all she does is she checks in on the team and makes sure everybody's supported like they need to be supported and helps us with hiring. And I hate to use the word firing. We rarely do that, but occasionally you have to let somebody go. And we put that focus on this person um, to allow our management team to focus on um, the opportunities and the growth that's around us. We found our management team, and I'm part of that team. I have an operations director. Her name's Catherine. She's amazing. And myself, we've spent all our time putting out HR fires. We, we couldn't get our stuff done. And we had to say, hey, look, we need a full-time person just to deal with HR issues so that we can actually continue to be profitable and, and repair the vehicles and get the inventory in here and all the other business things that have to happen. Um, and, and it's been a huge success. The team likes it. Uh, the management team likes it. Um, so far, it's, it's wonderful. And um, I've, I've heard, I, I've got a good friend uh, up in Kentucky. I'm not going to name the practice, but they've actually got a, a mental health specialist that comes in and does some mental, mental health roundtables for the team, which is something that I never even considered prior to the pandemic. But it's actually real. And um, I, I probably need to be on some of those roundtables myself. The Business of Practice podcast is brought to you by Care Credit. Care Credit keeps equine veterinarians at the heart of care by providing horse owners with simple, budget-friendly financing options. By bridging the gap between cost and care, Care Credit supports healthy financial relationships between veterinarians and their clients. It can help them move forward with care a horse needs whenever and wherever it's needed. And Dr. Denny Jones, what about in your practice? What kind of long-term changes are you seeing that, you know, as you mentioned, are going to stick around? I mean, they're, you, you've seen them for the last two years, but what are you going to keep? Well, we're looking to hire. <laughs> we're getting that busy because people are going to stay that positive in prevention, which we like. Um, I, I just can't keep up with the requests. Also, that growth that I was talking to you about, we have a lot of city folk per se moving into our area and our old fashioned clientele are moving further out. And so it's stretching my limitations in my practice. So money's idea of moving out to that other pocket might be what we do too, because there is a couple pockets between myself and Ocala that have no large animal type veterinarian to take care of the horses. So those are things that we're gonna see is this outward growth of the city where people are gonna to wanna to own farms and have one or two horses in their backyard, one or two donkeys in their backyard. That's one of the things, but talking on Monty's side, that would have been a lovely thing for me to have at the time because um, my wonderful assistant of 16 years lost her husband during COVID. And for her to have to go through that without having that here at the clinic, besides just myself, the part-time um, bookkeeper that we've known for you know many years as well, and that the new employee we hired to take over with some vet tech work and some receptionist work, um, she had to step up the plate, do more tech work. Um, 
it probably would have been good to have her have somebody like what Monty had as somebody to talk to, to, to express how things are going and things like that. So, you know, we give her as much break as we can now as she needs. But um, that was a, a shock and uh, very hard on a very small practice to lose my right arm, if you want to call it, for about eight weeks, six to eight weeks going through that. So. Yeah, and that's, again, as, as you all have said, moving forward, and I know several practices where one of the things they're starting to talk about is our insurance covers this when it comes to mental health. And mental health is not a bad word. We need to quit thinking of, you know, that is a bad connotation. Mental health just means giving you some tools and some assistance to help you get through what you're facing. And that's different for everyone. Exactly. Exactly. It is not a bad word. It is definitely supposed to be part of their health care. So, you know, these, these unexpected times that we've had where things occur in your life, you can't control them. You need to have some tools, like you said, to, to manage your reaction to them. Yeah. And are there any other issues that we're still facing from the pandemic besides trying to find people to hire? <laughs> that, uh, that, yeah, I'd like to chime in on something Aaron said. Aaron makes some great points. And what flashed into my brain is that we, we need to, with our practice, we, we, start, we started drawing some lines. We started drawing some lines on, on how far out we will go after hours, how far out we will go during the day, how far, what will we actually do? We've always been a very customer service focused practice. What does the customer need? We're going to deliver. And, and that's okay to a point. You don't want to wreck your team trying to serve people, um, even though we are a service industry. So we have to draw some lines. So we, we've established, um, you know, a 50 mile radius around our facilities that we will not go out past that. And, and um, it, you're welcome to load your horse up and come to us and would not believe the number of calls we get after hours from people are 60, 70, 80, 90 miles away. And they're demanding you to show up. And you're like, and we simply have to say, hey, we're here for you. Uh, responsible horse ownership means owning a trailer or having access to one. And so for you to think that I'm going to load up and come to your horse 100 miles away, I get it. I've done it before. But moving forward, we're going to have to work together to care for your horse. And part of that is you being responsible. So putting some of the responsibility back on the owner, which is hard for me because I'm not that guy. I actually want to make you happy all the time. I don't really worry how it's going to affect me or my family. I've, I've started to look back and go, maybe this does affect me and my family. Maybe I need to rethink that. Right. And so that's just a thought. I agree, Monty. And I think that adding to that, when I have clientele that have left my practice and gone somewhere else, I've highly recommended to them to have the vet out immediately and make a relationship with their vet locally. God forbid they have an emergency by either having a pull a cog ends. like they'll be due for vaccines before they leave. I'll do half the vaccines, maybe the flu rhino for the trip, but have them do the encephalitis and West Nile when they get there so they can make a relationship with the vet or just at least go in to visit them, establish themselves you're already caught up. You don't need anything for the next X amount of months. And we'd like to establish and get that relationship early on so that when it comes time and we can always send our records to them when it comes time for that emergency, they're not scrambling to find somebody because that is now becoming a problem onto a newer problem is finding a veterinarian that's still practicing because a lot of them are getting out of it. 
that is close enough and available enough to come out. You know, I still get calls, just like Monty said, pretty far away from me, but I can't go that far because that leaves my local good clientele without a vet for the amount of time I am 70, 80 miles away. So I had to, like I had said earlier, and Monty agrees with, put down the boundary. I can't go that far. So you'll either have to haul in or you'll have to find somebody local. And that was a, a huge change for me coming from central Kentucky where you couldn't, you know, swing a hay bale without hitting an equine veterinarian to central Wyoming, uh, where the closest really surgical facility is four hours away in northern Wyoming. And that's a very small practice or down at CSU, which is five to six hours away, depending on you know road conditions, if you can get across the mountain passes. So, you know, you you learn pretty quick to uh, load a horse up early and get into the clinic to get things done. So that's uh, something that I think that, uh, you know, it's it's, it's going to change. And, and again, the relationship, I know veterinarians who have people call for emergencies and they're not clients and they have to tell them, if you looked at my website and got my phone number, you see we only respond to emergencies for current clients. And that's, that's hard on veterinarians because veterinarians, their they're mental, the reason they became vets is to help horses or to help animals. And that's hard on you guys to say no, but for your own health and well-being, it has to be. So what do you, how do you handle situations like that? You say you're setting boundaries. What are those conversations like? I'll say they're tough since I have to handle most of them. Monty probably has a little buffer but I have to handle most of them um, after hours and I'll just tell them it's out of my area and have to be flat about it. I try to give them options. So I know the vets in the area. I mean, equine vets, we're a small group. We know each other. So yeah. I try to give them options. Um, I also have a couple people who can haul. And so I'll give them those numbers and those people are okay with me giving their numbers after hours and they'll go pick the horse up and haul it to wherever they need to haul it to for whatever the reason is. So that's the best I can do for them. But I have learned and my husband, I'll have to give him big kudos. He told me I can't save every horse in the state of Florida. And he's absolutely right. You know, I have to be able to go to sleep at night knowing that I did the best I could at the moment and with the tools I have. And Dr. McInturf? Yeah. So one cool thing we're doing is we're selling first aid kits. We put a first aid kit together that's got all the things you need and some descriptions and our phone number. And hey, look, if you're out of the area, get your first aid kit. Get you access to a trailer. This is what you need to be ready. You need to have an emergency plan um, in case something happens. You can't just show up and go, I'm frustrated because I can't get a vet. We're hearing that on social media, we're this and that. Well, it, we need to put it back on the owner to say, hey, be responsible. You know, know, you know what your horse's heart rate is. Here's a stethoscope. Know, know how to take a temperature. Know, know if a horse is limping or not. You know if he's not eating. You know, talk about just general horse care stuff. And um, I don't know how many first aid kits we've sold, but they have a nice little coupon on them and they're really cool. And they say the name on them and, and we're selling a bunch of them. And it's $300 worth of stuff at retail value that we sell for $195. We're not trying to make money on first aid kits. We're trying to serve the community so that they that our or, our industry is is respected and loved, which is always has been. 
Um, one, one thing I wanted to say, I learned this at the VMG Congress. I'm a, I'm a VMG member. I went to the VMG Congress down in Orlando, down your neck of the woods, Aaron. And, and I'm kind of shocked by this number. I'm just going to throw it out. I'm just shocked by it. Um, you know, 30 years ago when I graduated or 25 years ago, a, a standard work week, an FTE for a veterinarian was 50 to 60 hours. It was just, that's just what it is. I mean, full-time equivalent. It's just what it is. And do you know what the the uh, standard FTE is now for veterinary medicine? I'm not talking equine. I'm talking all veterinary medicine. The standard FTE is 32 hours. So full time, if you do 32 hours a week, well, if you, if you do the math, 32 hours, that sounds awesome. I mean, Aaron could go scuba diving. I could go, I could go boating. I could go fishing. 32 hours is amazing for the veterinarian. Who's suffering with that is the animal. The animal doesn't know what time it is. So if we've got a veterinary shortage, it's because our FTE has dropped tremendously and it takes two veterinarians to do what a standard veterinarian did a 20 years ago, maybe 10 years ago. And that's why there's a significant shortage. Now that's doing math. I don't know if that's a fact, but doing math, I'm thinking, wow, okay, that's cool. So we actually do have a shortage. We need more veterinarians so that we can all have a 32 hour work week, which sounds awesome. And I'm in, I want that. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I'm, I'm cool with that. I'm in. Yeah. The reality is the animal still needs care. Those other hours. And that, I just want to, we need to think about that. Yeah. And I, I do want to throw out there that when you mix in the small animal practices who pretty much don't do emergency, that, that, that that I think is skewing maybe that number just a little bit when it comes to equine. But you bring up a really good fact. We need to know the, the facts in the equine industry. Yeah. What's that? So, Full time equivalent. Yeah. So that, I think that's something that we really need to, to look into. And Aaron, any closing comments that you want to make? No, I guess uh, I was kind of shocked by that 32 hour a week uh, number two. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I'd have to say, yeah, small animal probably skewed it a bit, but um, I don't, I guess another twist to that comment is I don't see it as an hourly job either. It's, it's a career. So I could be at a horse show, maybe not riding, just enjoying the show. And I'm still going to be asked questions and I'm still going to be happy to answer the questions because I love what I do. I love sharing the knowledge. I love engaging in equine conversations. Granted, as Monty mentioned, I like to scuba dive too. But honestly, if I had to talk about horses, it's not like a drudgery. I don't hate my job. I love my job. And it's a career. I've chosen to be in it. And I've chosen to take vacations doing horse things and um, talking to horse clientele on my off time. So, you know, the FTE might be 32 that you're actually working. But when you're giving out advice, you're kind of working too. Yeah. Well, I want to thank both of you, Dr. Danny Jones and Dr. McIntyre, for talking to us today. And a big thanks to our audience for joining us for the Business of Practice. And of course, and a big thanks to Care Credit for sponsoring this podcast. Please visit Equimanagement or your favorite podcast network to hear each episode of the Business of Practice brought to you by Care Credit. And if you have any questions or suggestions, you can send an email to me at kbrown at equinenetwork.com. 
The Business to Practice podcast is a production of the Equine Podcast Network, an entity of the Equine Network, LLC. Mm-hmm.